Hello and welcome to Adventures in Venueland, an EAMC podcast. This is your all-access pass to go backstage and behind the scenes with some of the brightest minds that cross the scope of the live entertainment industry. I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. We'll introduce you to some of our favorite people as we dive deep into the world of live touring shows and the venues that host them. Our adventure today takes us down to Houston by way of Palm Desert, California, and a little bit of everywhere in between as we check in with one of my favorite people, uh, Gina Bertolo. She is the, the brand new, I guess that's fair to say, VP of Marketing and Communications for the Coachella Valley Firebirds. Gina, how's it going? Hi, guys. I'm so excited to talk to you. Hello, hello. You know, I'm excited to talk to you because your adventure uh, has taken you in a lot of unexpected directions, right? Yes. Uh, and I think it's safe to say your your latest adventure is uh, is pretty cool. So tell us what you're getting ready to do with, uh, you know, for someone who's never heard of the Coachella <laughs> Valley Firebirds. Well, it's not uncommon because we are a brand new, it's where the 32nd AHL team to enter the league. Um, we are a feeder team of the official affiliate to the Seattle Kraken. So shout out to all my Kraken and Climate Pledge peeps. Um, I'm super excited. This actually, that's one of the reasons I was very excited about this. I get to work with people that I've known and you know respected and adored. They're on my personal and professional board of directors in many different iterations, just between um, Oakview Group, the arena, the, the team, you have a lot of people that came from the Vegas Golden Knights that are up there working for the Kraken. So it's just, it's a big, happy family reunion for me. Um, but yeah, it's, um, I'm very excited. So Coachella Valley Firebirds are going to make their debut this coming fall. Um, and we will open our new arena uh, in December. So we will be one of the first events that takes place for Acrisure Arena, which is in Palm Desert, California. So okay, Coachella, say that again. Say that again, because I want to make sure we're all pronouncing that right. Yes, Acrisure Arena. What, what is Acrisure? Acrisure is an insurance company and they are based in uh, Michigan. And they do, when we actually made the, the venue naming rights announcement, um, I learned a lot about them myself. Um, it was not <laughs> a company that I knew of. Um, you know, my previous buildings have been, you know, like BBVA Compass Stadium or T Mobile. Like it was, these were really large brands yeah. that kind of had a global or at least a very strong national campaign and reach. This company has something like 90% of their business is in California. And an ah. even more concentrated portion of that percentage is in Southern California, where our arena is going to be built and the team's going mm -hmm. to be based. So it was a really natural partnership. Um, I'm excited to get to know and introduce, you know, this brand on a much larger level um, through the sport of hockey and just through all the other events that are going to happen at the arena. So it's very exciting for us. So Firebirds, does that yeah. mean that all employees get old Pontiac Firebirds to cruise around town in? The amount of time I try, like right now, with we're developing our social media strategy and our voice and our tone, but like it is really hard for me not to use a Burt Reynolds um, <laughs> Firebird reference. Like every time I turn around, like, you know, Smokey and the Bandit. Cause that's yes, for, for those who get that reference, it's a glorious. <laughs> it's amazing. Like it's just, that's, I think we almost, we're going to have to play into that at some point. But yeah, sadly, no, I have not been gifted a, a classic firebird yet but yet it's early the it's door early. is open we're building the that dynamic <laughs> with like the firebird and the kraken you've got this kind of water and fire kind of thing yeah it's, it's a mythological uh, it's kind conversation. of a fun little playoff yeah. yeah and you know it's really playing off mythology and i think that's one of the things that's really exciting about this is i don't get just to build and develop a brand for a new hockey team i get to link into a brand that's just launched and kind of growing and establishing itself. And that's what we really want to do is have the conversation that stays consistent between the two organizations. We're all owned and operated essentially through um, the same umbrella parent company. And while we'll have different identities, it's an important link. And um, the joke was made when um, I was actually there for the brand launch right before I started. Um, and they there was a joke that was made. This will be the only minor league team where you see people from the NHL. They just want to go down to the minors because the weather's better. <laughs> but that's seasonally right like it's going to be seasonally yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, i don't know if you guys know i've managed to find a hotter desert than las vegas so 
Look at this complexion and this hair. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm glad you brought that up and we'll we'll get into it. You know, you've, you've made a uh, career recently of helping open up uh, arenas. Uh, So tell us about, tell us about this new place and, 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 you know, what's going on, especially when you're trying to be involved with it from, you know, uh, pretty far away. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is an interesting dynamic, you know, learning to do and adapt and do our jobs remotely. Um, In previous iterations, I traveled a lot. So I kind of was doing a lot of remote work here and there. I, you know, I had responsibilities that were based in one location, but I had properties that were across the country and even in other countries completely. So um, it was interesting. There was a lot more of this. I had some familiarity, but it's been, it's been interesting to start, you know, building an organization and getting to know a whole new group of people, everybody who's new to the, you know, to the organization, some of us that are completely, you know, coming from other parts of the country and we're getting there in stages. Um, So it's been very, it's been different. It's been different, but um, it's been good. I think that, you know, being able to communicate and find a way to build culture when you can't be sitting in the same space. And anybody that's opened a venue um, or had any part in a new project, you may not have your office space for quite some time. And that's going to be the case. We will all office in the arena, which is unique usually for the team and the arena to do that. Um, We'll have community ice built right next door. So literally for our players, they will go out one door of the locker room and they'll be on the community ice where they'll do their training. And then they'll go out the other door of the locker room on game day to go to home ice. So it'll, it's a, it's a unique, it's an interesting opportunity, but yeah, I mean, having, having opened, you know, a variety of, you know, stadiums and arenas and theaters and other things, each project is different. Um, You know, I've been fortunate to be adjacent to launching teams. I was, um, you know, I helped launch the Houston Dash when we added them when I was in Houston um, and that's the women NWSL women's soccer team. Um, I got to do that with the WNBA team that we launched, the Las Vegas Aces. And I was able to be a part of that when we were launching the Vegas Golden Knights. So, um, but this is truly my first time sitting fully on the team side. I've been adjacent in terms of I was doing, you know, usually a similar role on the venue side. Um, And I had a lot of oversight. I've touched and worked with lots of different leagues but this is really the first chance to truly be in a hundred percent, you know, sports capacity. The good news for me is I also get to, you know, share some of my insight and experience and learnings because I've been involved in, you know, booking and developing residencies. I've been involved in opening arenas. I've been involved in announcing, you know, founding partners and things like that. So I'm really excited because I have such an amazing team that I get to collaborate with. You know, my counterparts on the arena side are amazing. One of the things that was really appealing for me going into this whole adventure was the leadership, the senior leadership level had plus percent there was like 80 plus percent women so yeah that's awesome we had we have our our, ruth hill our vice president of finance um joanne armstrong who's a vp of booking for the arena and joyce sudzik who is my counterpart on the marketing side they were installed before i got on board and it was really exciting um shannon miller who's our vp of community outreach and brand awareness um she's um she's the I think I'm saying this correctly, but it's the most winning hockey coach in Canadian hockey history. She coached the women's Canadian national team, has a silver medal. She's had a phenomenal career in hockey, but like, so these really incredible, very intelligent, personable, amazing, you know, energetic women that I get to be a part of. and, 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 and it's really collaborative. You know, we all do different things and we've, you know, we made a pact that we were going to, you know, stick together and support each other and, you know, raise our hands if there are things we didn't know, because we need to be able to really interact and say, this is, you know, we're going to be moving at a faster and faster pace and being able to say, Hey, you know, I don't know how to do this, or what do you think about this? Or I need some help and support. Um, but we, you know, when I got out there the very first trip I took out there, um, you know, even as I was deciding on the job, you know, it was a very, it had a very different vibe. And it was really important to me to find, I felt like this was just going to be a really special place and a special culture that I had to be a part of. And um, yeah, they made it really easy. I think one of the really important things you hit on too, is that you have this experience from the venue side, going to the team side, which I think a lot of a lot of people might not have that. They might be going from different teams, either within the same sport or crossing sports, but you understand what that relationship needs to look like to have a healthy balance so that, you know, the rising tide raises both ships. And I think often when you talk to buildings, 
sometimes they'll complain about the team side and and vice versa. Sometimes the team complains about the building side and it seems that there's not a really great collaboration there or people don't really understand how to utilize both sides. So I think you having so much experience on the venue side and then now being on the team side really sets you up to not only help the venue side, but also understand this is how we can take advantage of certain assets to really make sure we buoy our brand as we launch it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, right now as we're kind of getting our founding partners and some of the larger partners on board, you know, we're collaborating with those conversations because it really very much is, you know, sort of a, you know, a one, a, the same unit, although we have different different ways to execute, right? But it's it's being able to pull those things together. And you're, you're right, having been on the other side of this, there's usually a division, like a separation of church and state, right? Like we've all been in those experiences for the most part where, you know, when the team comes in and it's a game day, it's the building is theirs. But when it's not their game day, you know, they can't just, you don't just walk in freely and have, you know, free run of the place when it's a show day or, you know, anything else that's our private events. So there sometimes is some, everybody's kind of pushing their own agenda. And sometimes we're put into roles where that's a part of our responsibility, right? Like we need to to push and to get what we need or what we need to do to fulfill. So I think the thing that's already feeling different so far for the, for me at least um, in this, in this role is that we're all pushing together, um, you know, and figuring out, and it's really not even a push. I think it's just, we're kind of like, Hey, how can like, can you hold this piece? I'll hold this piece, you know, and how do they come together and really look at all those puzzle pieces collectively and figure out how they fit the best way and how we can support one another. You know, the team right now has, you know, more activity and milestones, I would say, because we're just in a construction phase with the arena and those construction milestones are exciting, but they're not always as sexy, right? Like I'm getting ready to do things like we'll launch a mascot, we'll hire a head coach and a coaching staff, we'll start getting players and personalities. And this is all during a time when the arena is still being built. You know, we did topping out in February, we'll start getting the walls closed in here soon. But there's a lot of stuff that goes on in that construction phase that, you know, the public can't see, you know, when they first broke ground on this project, they dug down. So you couldn't even see anything. You're like, just digging a hole? Like what's going on over there? There was nothing to see. So yeah, so I think that we just happen to have some things that might feel a little bit more visually interesting or, you know, they feel different from a newsworthiness, but it's an opportunity for us at every turn to continue to educate about what's going on with the arena and where we are and how we're building our relationships. And literally, um, you know, the, the slogan that we developed for this year for the team is one valley, one team rising together. And that's kind of our rally cry. And it's really important. So within that, it's not just for the team. It really is for the, the venue. I mean, we've had the, the hashtag that we've been using is building an oasis. And that has a lot of, you know, all encompassing meaning, but it's the same thing. We are truly rising as an organization together and we have to do, we are one team and this we're connecting the nine cities of the Coachella Valley. Um, I didn't know there were nine cities in the Valley. I just kind of no, know the yeah. ones that I know. Right. And so it's, you know, having this sense of inclusiveness and really creating a community that's excited that we're coming, but you know, your work doesn't stop there. You can be excited when they're getting a professional team, but you know, that's just where your work starts. So I think it's very exciting to be able to kind of approach this holistically and have the support and also the, um, you know, the added value of being able to talk about, you know, it's not just a team, it's this new arena. And from the arena side, it's not just the arena. Here's all the stuff that we know that we're going to have coming into it. And just, it's an exciting time for everybody. So, you know, when you're opening an, a new arena in, in California, right, where they're so starved for entertainment, yeah, there's nothing so going on for, for entertainment options, so how do you, you know, uh, tell me about, you know, the, you, you kind of hinted at it a little bit there, but tell me about you kind of, your kind of place in the market and, you know, and kind of, um, you know, how you guys think you're going to have to position yourself competitively. Yeah, it's interesting. So we are two hours for those that don't know. And I was one of them. I'm not a, anybody that knows me will be like, she is so geographically challenged. It's not even funny. Like people are like, where do you live? I don't know. Um, this is where the plane <laughs> took me and dropped me off. I have an Uber that has a map. So I mean, that's where I am in life most of the time. And anybody who's driven around with me is like, why we're being taken hostage. And it's like the Looney Tunes map. There's not a direct line. 
But no, so we are two hours south. We're in Southern California off I-10. We're two hours south of Los Angeles and about, I think it's about an hour 45-ish, just under two hours to San Diego. Okay. So we already have, and then we're about three and a half to four from Las Vegas. So there's a lot of desolate space in between all that, but these are all, you know, much larger markets than us. We're essentially, you know, this Coachella Valley, Palm, Palm Springs, Palm Desert, Indio, all these places, um, it's essentially tertiary markets, right? But it happens to be a market that is super active from a seasonal standpoint, right? Like you get the snowbirds that come down and they're there from October to May, um, you know, and it's not snowbirds. I thought just meant everybody in Canada and it does not, it means anybody. So I'm learning a lot about this and about my new soon to be hometown, but people are very seasonal. And then obviously it gets really, really hot in that desert. So a lot of people leave, but I did learn that, you know, you have a lot of Europeans that come over in the summer. So that just makes me think that everybody's as confused as I am between switching between Fahrenheit and Celsius and no one knows what the temperature is. So they didn't realize it was going to be like 118 or 120 in the summer. So it is a tertiary market by comparison. Um, and really what we're doing, you know, our arena is going to be um, around 11,000. We'll probably do about 10.4, 10.5 for hockey. So depending on the a show or an event setup, that's going to flex. It's, you know, it's the major arena and there's not another arena in our market. Um, so we're kind of the only show in town, which makes that helpful and exciting, you know, coming from my previous market in Las Vegas, where I had multiple arenas, multiple yeah. theaters, multiple festival grounds, multiple every, like, and I was competing with all the other, you know, hotel casinos every night, you know, it was an insane amount of competition. So this, I went from one extreme to the other, which is apparently my jam. Um, <laughs> it's what I do. And um, so this is going to be interesting, but you know, for us, we want to position ourselves as it's a destination market. You know, you've got people that have their second and sometimes third homes there. Um, but during COVID people wanted to leave major markets and they wanted to, you know, people could switch to a remote atmosphere and, you know, basically continue to do their business. They wanted to be in a place that was sunny and pleasant and had nice weather most, you know, pretty much year round. Um, so there is a pretty significant boom in people moving into that market versus moving out of some of the other major markets in California. You know, there's kind of a, a mass exodus, but this market is absolutely doing the inverse. It's growing. And we think it's going to be really important and impactful in terms of making, you know, creating this sports and entertainment hub as part of the destination, you know, playing in the AHL, we're going to have, we're in the Pacific division. So we will play, you know, we've got the Ontario rain, we've got the seagulls, we've got, you know, all these other, you know, teams from Colorado and the silver Henderson silver Knights. So, you know, that'll be an interest. I think there's going to be some interesting rivalries that come out of this, I think, and we don't know what they are yet. And sometimes, you know, that ha I've watched that happen with, with our NHL team in Las Vegas, you know, you couldn't predict who our big rivals were going to, or we thought we would know, and then they became different things. So it's going to be interesting, but we'll have a lot more people that are able to come into our market um, more consistently to watch their teams play. And while they're at it, you know, they're getting the benefit of kind of a mini you know, staycation or vacation, depending on where they're coming from. Um, so I think it's going to be interesting. You know, we intend to develop residencies. We intend to be a rehearsal space for tours um, and a, a huge hub for artists and creative development. You know, obviously we'll have the opportunity to develop a lot of unique things and unique program, I think, from a sports standpoint as well. Um, and it's a good place to kind of test some things out, right? Like, um, you know, we had to find all these places, particularly when I was in Las Vegas, you know, you had to find those spaces. They didn't just exist. So it's nice that this can be a destination to kind of be planting a seed for lots of different things from sports and entertainment and watch that grow and and kind of launch into you know whether they become national tours or other you know this is the only place you can see them but that's that's part of that model is there some link that you all might have to the festival i know obviously outside of california yeah, as soon as you say Coachella, Coachella, that's all anybody right that's, they that's think that's festival that. festival yeah. And, yeah and obviously you all are your own thing but it, is there going to be some opportunity there where you do like an opening night reception or some sort of some some collaboration uh is that something that you all are kind of percolating on currently yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, the relationship is natural, right? Like everybody that's there for Coachella and Stagecoach, the month of April, like don't even try and come visit right now. You can't get a hotel room. <laughs> and we haven't, it hasn't happened in two years. The, my new home is literally like blocks away from that. So I don't even know what that's going to look like. <laughs> couple of years i may be stuck in my home for a month i'm not sure rent out your garage yeah like everybody's like <laughs> her house i can i can feel it now the all the text messages and and <laughs> LinkedIn notes will come it's like i would like to book 
your suite at your house. Um, but yeah, I think there's a natural alliance. So what I've also learned again, cause I was only familiar with having, you know, the festival itself, but you know, they do other events. They do events throughout the summer and you know, there are pool parties and other things that go on in that market that kind of are many, I guess many are pop-up shows, so to speak. Um, but yeah, I think there's absolutely a bigger opportunity and a larger conversation to have with the organizers of, of both you know, the festivals in order to kind of create ongoing cross-marketing opportunities and showcase and highlight, you know, things to come that, you know, kind of culminate in the actual festival every month or every year. So I think it's, I'm excited about all that. And that's all the brainstorming and creative process that I enjoy so much. That was one of, you know, the biggest benefits that I had in my previous role in Las Vegas is that it was about developing and creating content and working with these producers and artist camps and, you know, and, you know, leagues and athletes and this, that, and the other to really create something unique, new and different. Um, you know, it has its own set of challenges because everybody wants to be the first to do this in most cases or like, what right. can we do that's a differentiator? So it's, it's, it can get to be the creative process is fun, but it can also be really challenging. So, but I'm very excited about what it's going to look like in this market, because this is a very different market and how do you make it appealing and attractive year round, not just during the natural high season when everybody wants to be there. So, you know, obviously uh, uh, we didn't, we're not just walking into this job, uh, uh, you know, out with no experience. It's, it's quite, quite a resume there. So, so let's take you back a little bit to 1990, 1993. Oh my gosh. You're at, you're at uh, what? Texas Christian University, TCU. Yes, frog uh, out. Go frogs. Yes, right. And we're doing what, a, 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 your, your uh, art history French yes. is what we're studying. So, so tell me how this person got to be a live events person. How did, how did you get started in this? I mean, doesn't it make sense? Of course I was an art history French major. So now I do this. Um, <laughs> right. Um, exactly. <laughs> no, I, when I went to school, I actually, I went on a dance scholarship. Um, I danced professionally from the time I was, you know, in my teens or whatever. And I thought I was going to be a professional dancer and I wanted to move to LA and audition and do all that stuff. And then I got out there and I realized I was really good, but there were people that were phenomenal. <laughs> like it was just a different playing field. So I went to college and realized quickly that I didn't need a degree to be a dancer. And I didn't think that was going to serve me. And it also wasn't, I think that my path was starting to, to shift and I was having to figure out what's next. Um, but I, I really was, I, so my next goal was I, I decided at some point along the way, I tried on a lot of different majors and was just very, I, marketing and communications was kind of always a constant because I was interested in, that. again, a creative route. I didn't really know what it meant, um, but I just felt like those were, you know, people that seemed like they had a lot of flexibility and freedom in, in their, their various jobs. And there was a, a wider variety, um, a place to kind of carve your own path. But I decided somewhere along the way, I wanted to be an international art broker. Um, I loved art history. Wow. I, so yeah, I didn't know this yeah. about you. Yeah, I, my my goal, I was going to be a power, like one of the most powerful women in art is what I thought I would do. Um, I went to work at the Kimball Art Museum right after I got out of school. I got accepted to Christie's Auction House Graduate Trainee Program. My family lived overseas the whole time I was in college. And so I got accepted into this very elite program. And when I got over there to go to my orientation, they realized there had been this huge mistake because that program in London was for European citizens only. And oh, I was like, I'm an American, oh. I'm so excited. And like, there's no. a whole kerfuffle. And basically long story short, after me sitting outside an admissions office for a month, you know, just thinking like, can I go, can I go to class yet? Like, can I go, like, can I, can I go today? Like what you do try I do? to fake an accent. Oh, I, whatever I needed to do. I was like, Lee press on accent. I, here I come. They shipped me to New York to interview for a spot at the program there in New York. And I got, it was highly competitive. I think that there were, I was in the top 10 and then they carved us down to like the top six. And I think they were taking two people and they were, you know, I was up against people that had law degrees and PhDs. And I thought you're going to what are you doing here? Like, I'm, pro you're probably going to make 20 grand if you're lucky and be, you know, it's, it, and live in Manhattan, like it, what? So it was, I did not get selected for the New York program and I was pretty devastated, but I thought there's other ways to go about this. You know, I really liked the museum world. I was getting to do things like, you know, I was doing all the PR stuff. So I was writing press releases and I was getting to talk to all these international media outlets. I was, you know, working on catalogs. I published a catalog or two for, you know, collections and, and exhibitions that we created. And it was, I really enjoyed it. Um, 
And, but I, I learned somewhere along the way, it was going to require a lot more education at a significant financial investment that I probably was never going to recoup in a salary. And the art world moves very slow. It's very, or at least at that time, I don't know how much it's evolved. So I don't want to like speak out of turn, but it was pretty, there was a lot of nepotism and it was very, yeah, sure, I'm sure. it was very male dominated. You didn't see a lot of women that were executive directors um, or the head curator, you had different roles that you could be. You saw people in marketing, saw a lot of women in marketing and a lot of women in conservation. And I thought about conservation, but then I realized that my ability to pay attention that long and that closely was really <laughs> it was not going to be good. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I just, and I, I, so I, it was able to, and from there, you know, I, I relocated at some point down back to Houston and I wanted to go to work for the Museum of Fine Arts here, but they didn't have an opening. So I ended up working for a PR agency and I was, gifted, as I refer to it, all of these really, in a sense, kind of the misfit clients, they didn't quite, they were, they were arts and entertainment, but no one really know it. Like I was representing chefs. I was representing, um, Tillman Fertitta was one of my first clients and accounts. I was suddenly helping him open Kima Boardwalk. And that's kind of my first foray into booking. He's like, we need programming, figure it out. And I was like, I'm your PR girl. Like what? But sometimes that's the best way, right? It was, it was really great. Like it was great learning opportunities for me. So, but that kind of evolved. And I found like, I really, I aligned with a lot of these people. They were again, highly creative. You know, if you're in restaurant hospitality, you know, culinary, anything, um, I wasn't a foodie per se. And anybody that knows me, like, you know, I'll eat the same 10 things. So I'm not really the person to be like, <laughs> you should try this, but um but I, I did, I enjoyed telling the story, right? About what these people were doing and, and what they were creating and their vision. That was a big part of it. All these people had a lot of vision, which I found much more interesting than say traditional corporate communications, which was here's our quarterly report and you know here's our pay, our stock dividends. Right, right. And like it just, there was something much more attractive and exciting to me about that. But I just evolved through a PR career Enron happened in Houston, which I would never, this is the first time a, something significant that really had nothing to do with what I was doing impacted what I was doing. I lost my job. <laughs> I got downsized because my clients were all arts and entertainment. And, you know, at that point in time, um, it was, it, they were funding so much of my client base, you know, things like the Hobby Center or Jones Hall or the Symphony or the, the opera, they lost a lot of donors, right? Like then a lot of influx. So it was my first experience with when things happen on a larger level, you know, locally, nationally, significant business impact, how it can affect little old me and this, you know, in my tiny role, like not really very significant. And I, it was hard. It was not the first time I've had to recover from that. Um, and I think that that helped toughen me up a little bit, but I did, I had to get resourceful and I had to, you know, I had two or three other PR jobs at smaller agencies, but again, I was always very susceptible last in first out, depending on how the economics were impacting our client base. And eventually I, I kind of thought, well, if this keeps happening, I'm just going to go out on my own and see what that's like. Yeah. And it, it was out of necessity, you know, more than a desire um, that I found myself running my own business. And I had no idea what that meant. I'd never taken a business course in my life. It I was, was going to ask, because this is, this is kind of the genesis of what, yeah. what became uh, Gina Rotolo PR, right? Yes, so, PR. So, so, you know, a lot of people have thought, oh, you know what? I could do this. I could strike out on my own. So how did you how did you take those first steps? How did you figure it out? Are you just are you just figuring it out every day along the way? Yes, it was 100% trial by error and trial by fire. Um I was fortunate because you know when I left some of these agencies I had clients that really wanted to still work with me and probably could do it at a much cheaper rate to be honest. Yeah. Um you know I just looked at it like how can I cover my expenses for the month and then I'll figure everything else out. I was very fortunate because I got to do some stuff with the city of Houston and it was right on the precipice of the of building out this downtown entertainment district ahead of when the Super Bowl came to town in 2004. They were building a light rail, they had torn up all this whole downtown main street. So all these bars and restaurants and you know the place that became a thriving, you know, hub of entertainment had been decimated before that. So it was helping kind of put the pieces back together and figuring out 
you know, how do you get people back down here and how do you program? And then I got really lucky. I had a nightclub and hospitality client that aligned with Louis Messina right about the time he was launching Messina Group. And I got to do, you know, a huge festival in the middle, like the only thing that we could do for the public in the middle of the first Super Bowl it was, I think, 38, whatever it was. It was in 2004. And so we, in addition to all these other, you know, VIP events and stuff, I found myself coordinating you know, on a national level with national brands, I got aligned with an org, you know, with a group of people. They're like, we're just going to throw a festival. How hard could it be? Which is, I was like, it can't be that hard. <laughs> Let's put on a show. What? It was nuts. It was absolutely crazy. And, you know, it's kind of one of those right. events that was so crazy and a little traumatic for all of us that no one really talks about it anymore. But that was really a huge foray. You know, I was also at that point doing some, you know, essentially like freelance PR and marketing work for artists because, the record industry had downsized and the first people they let go were marketing and communications people. So suddenly you had albums and tours and all these things that they relied on the label to kind of promote. And these artist camps didn't know what to do. So I, you know, through some just, again, I feel like I've heard of that uh, happening some other time more recently. <laughs> yeah, it's weird, when, right? But... Like what, what happened? So it's, I just kind of rolled with those punches and I think it was a very specific time and place and it was, you know, relationships were everything. And, you know, that was kind of what I've built my career on, um, you know, was, was creating and facilitating relationships. And I somewhere along the way became the person like, Hey, how do we do this? Or who do you know? And I could connect people and figuring out how to connect people, not just, Oh, you need this, but wait, you're over here. And this person does this and you guys should talk. Um, and that was a big, foundation of how I grew my business. You know, I wasn't gifted on the back end of running my business. I, I was good at the, the tactical parts, you know, I, the parts I knew, but I didn't have the time and the bandwidth always to understand, you know, how to build a staff and how to create your own business plan and do your own business, your strategy. Like you have to invest time in that as well. So it was, you know, I rolled with a lot of punches and I got to do a lot of really exciting things at a very I think pretty young in my career. And I learned a lot about what I liked and what I didn't like, you know, I ended up, you know, that's how I ended up doing my first tours and working with some of these bands. And that was a whole different, I didn't know what life backstage was like. And I suddenly was like, wait, this is what's going on. This is not as cool as I thought it was going to be. You know, it, you're, you have, you get this all access pass and that's an all access pass to everything. And not all of it's fun or right, right. uplifting and it's hard. And, you know, you've got people that are dealing with, you've got, whenever you have a large group of people and they all have their own lives and their own families and their own, and their own sets of demons and addictions, like throw all that together on a tour bus and see what happens, a shake and throw. <laughs> so it's, again, I learned a lot along the way. And at some point or other, you know, I was I made myself useful. I wanted to understand from a tour perspective, you know, I didn't know what all the production people did. And my job was pretty scheduled by, by comparison, you know, I was working early in the morning or late at night, but like, what do you guys do all day long when you load in and load out? So I wanted to make myself useful. And I, you know, threw myself in and wanted to, you know, what's the production manager doing? What does the lighting guy do? And what are these rigging people doing? And this is really interesting. And it was this own symphony of watching the production come together. And that was my first experience in venues. You know, I hadn't thought about that before. I just was the kid that showed up and went to concerts and always loved it and thought, I really wonder what happens when you get backstage. Like, and what happens on the bus and what happens here? And I was like, now I'm like, I don't want to sleeping. <laughs> it's not as sexy as you think. It's just not, it's right. not all behind the music and everything you read in every Motley Crue book. It's funny. Every once in a while, it is. But oh, it most of the time, it's not. But those days, I, I have been backstage at an event. I go, this is what my wife thinks backstage is like. Those <laughs> right. memes are so accurate. Like what my parents think I do, what my friends think I yes, do. Like, yes. You're like sprawled out with like 37 radios. You haven't slept in a week. And you're just like, I like everybody's calling your name. And you're like, I'm, I just need, I'm done. I just need a quiet room to scream in. So yeah, but it just like, that's how my career sort of evolved. And I ended up, you know, having the chance to get on the venue side when really, you know, back in, in Texas when, and I was very excited, like, I, you know, working for AEG was a high point for me. I'd played soccer. I didn't know soccer. So when I got the chance to be a marketing and booking person for a 22,000 seat soccer, you know, I was like, why not? How hard can this be? And, you know, it, it had its own sets of challenges, you know, but it was, again, I worked with, a, you know, Doug Hall was my GM and he was such a phenomenal leader. 
but again, you know, you have a lot of personalities. Um, Doug has five kids and I used to tell him, I'm like, do you parent your kids the same way? And he's like, no. And I'm like, well, then you can't, you can't lead us the same way. Cause I'm not going to respond the same way. <laughs> Maybe he's an ops guy. So like the ops, like he knows that world. Um, but I learned a lot, you know, I could learn a lot from a lot of people and opening that building was really the first, like, that's when I got in the trenches with people. And I'm still, you know, I learned that you are so tight with the group that you go through that kind of experience with, you know, those become your, those people become your family and you stick together. That was, you know, my first experience coming to EAMC was there and right. you know, getting to know everybody. And, you know, that was, I look back, that was in 2012 and it's been that, you know, it's been 10 years and it's crazy because we packed a lot into 10 years, but I mean, a lot of those relationships, again, those people, a lot of you guys became like my personal and professional board of directors. And we've stayed close, not just through work, but just through these shared experiences and needing to have a group of people that you could have an outlet with and be like, I'm super frustrated with, or I don't understand how to do. And it was important because I think a lot of us, particularly in the venue side, you get hired and everybody looks at you to have all the answers. Like you just need to know, like on the spot, um, or at least that's how I felt. So it was challenging at times because I was learning as I was going and I needed a group of people to say, I don't want to look like an idiot, but how do you do this? <laughs> like, right. How do you guys do this? And it was but like, it was, and that was a big thing for me is it was learning to say, raise my hand and say, I don't know how to do this, or I don't understand. This is how I think I should do it. But like, what does everybody else do? Like, is it the best way? Am I working smarter or harder? And a lot of great things came out of that. So, you know, and that naturally evolved. That's how it led me to T-Mobile. You know, I, one of my colleagues that opened BBVA with me um, was opening, was was selected. He, he went to Barclays and then came back and was opening T-Mobile. And he called me and he said, you know, before you do anything else, because I was looking at that point um, and I thought I was going to go to Barclays potentially. And he said, can you just come talk to us? And I had been, you know, prior to that, I'd been talking to the VP of booking for several months because he was on our booking calls. And he's like, I have this unique building that's really weird. I'm like, I have the special snowflake building in Houston. Like we had all sorts of challenges from a booking standpoint and sponsorship fulfillment. So we started forging these relationships. I never knew that it was going to lead to, you know, I never had grand designs to go to Las Vegas, but it was just, you know, that it naturally evolved. And it was a time where I thought I'm ready to take that kind of jump. And I put myself on a very different platform, right? Like I knew that Vegas was going to be a huge entertainment hub. And it was going to give me the opportunity to work with some of the best in the business and continue to grow and learn. And that's why I really wanted to do it. Um, you know, I wasn't so much interested in like, everybody's like, it's going to be great. It's Vegas and da, 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 da. And I was like, you know, I, I didn't gamble. I didn't really, I'd been to Vegas for, you know, on tour, but I hadn't really been there. So like, to me, I was really more interested in the opportunity and the challenges of what it was going to be to open an independent arena that was, you know, on the strip and supposed to be this hub, you know, and develop residencies and, you know, launch a hockey team. And so it just, it all naturally flowed, but you know, those people, same thing, that group of people that I opened that building with, you know, were super tight and I got lucky. I got to have some of the people that came from my building in Houston that came out there, or we got to reconnect. Yeah. Um, and now, you know, watching them go off and, you know, some are at SoFi and some are over at Allegiant and, you know, the things that they're accomplishing, like I get to be their big cheerleader, just the same. And it's really exciting to get to here and see how, you know, this family that you started with grows and, and develops. And there's a weird part of that, you know, even when you have staff, you know, one of my first interns is working at Climate Pledge and she worked at Key Arena and um, Emily Jensen. And to me, that was like a proud mama moment. Shout <laughs> Emily. Like, it's Shout like, out Emily. We love Emily. I know she's phenomenal, but like she was my first intern in Houston and just kind of like, I don't know, like, seems cool and but like watching her grow and develop and find her space and her voice and and how her skill set develop and the things that she's capable of it's been like you feel a little you kind of you're excited about that right like there's a little piece that you know you helped foster in someone's career and that's a big thing for me i didn't have a lot of people willingly offer to help me um you know i had to kind of scrape my knee and fall down a lot um and pick myself up and figure it out so anytime i can mentor or teach somebody, it's a big thing. Like I, I feel personally that the more you can share with people, your staff or other people and help them grow, it helps all of us, right? Like it's just an extension of your legacy gets to reach other places and it gets to grow in, in directions that 
are sometimes unexpected and surprising. So it's really exciting to see some of that. Mandy, Mandy Walsh was the same way. She and I worked together for a long time and, you know, watching her take her first step into a director role when, when I went to the soccer stadium and she went to Toyota center was really great. And we got to collaborate and she got to do things that I hadn't been able to do at that point. So it's just, I don't know. I just got very like touchy feely. It's very yeah. like, warm fuzzy, the, but I love that. I love that. Yeah. That's what's really cool, I think, about our industry. And maybe it's like that for other industries, but I just feel like we have a different, there's a different vibe and a different bond because of the thing, the shared experiences that we all go through and how we can help each other. One trend that I'm definitely seeing is a lot of people would be lucky or potentially unlucky, depending on how you look at it, uh, to open a building. Yeah. And you have done or will have done three now is that right more or less you did bbva and then t-mobile or there's kind more of like yeah. Help and launch yeah so i mean i think that is a trend and is is that something that is intentional by you or is it something that you kind <laughs> yeah, of because a lot of us would avoid that i'm gonna be honest yeah. inherently or you know some people are like i want to open a building once in my career that and once right. is enough right, right. Yeah. And so it, it's kind of fascinating that it's happened so often. I don't know if that's something that you yourself have thought about and it's something that you're planning or more so just like, wow, how did I find myself in another venue opening? Yeah, maybe I just never learn. Um, no, I, it's interesting <laughs> because I found myself. Feel, I remember someone told me at some point, like, you're either a startup person, you're a closer or you're like that person that just like studies the ship. And I thought, well, you, you can be all of those things, but I really did. I, I unintentionally found myself in this startup phase, and I learned that I was really good at being, you know, pulling together, organizing, trying to get, again, get the, like, I see the vision, and I like being part of that process. Um, every time you do it, it's different. So, yeah, I've opened, I think it's more like, this might be eight or nine for me, because wow. I opened theaters. Um, my first, what people don't know. Oh, well, sure, of course. Vegas, um, my first year in Las Vegas, I opened three buildings in nine months, which is literally right. insane. And they, two of them were Me belittling and saying three. Yeah. Two, two were in Vegas and one was in um, DC. So I was doing that bi-coastally and wow. like, it's, yeah. there's a lot of stuff that goes into that. And it was part of a bigger property opening, which I, you know, I didn't know how to open up hotel casino like that wasn't so there was a lot of different things and of course I wasn't doing this by myself there was a you know a team of people that were behind all this but you know the festival grounds and the village lots that we were doing you know we hadn't really been using those so there were lots of things you know I've, I've helped create festivals and build them from the ground up so I, I do find a lot of excitement and interest and a lot of challenges um, and I have a lot of I now have frame of reference, right? Like, so I think that's appealing. And as I was on sure. my current the job reference. search, yes. the, as I was on this job search, figuring out what was going to be next after Las Vegas and then COVID shutting everything down, you know, I, I didn't necessarily envision being in a startup role, but a lot of the conversations I was having were all around that because I've had so much experience and they're like, but you know how to do this. And I thought I do. And for all the things that can be challenging and frustrating for having to literally build everything from the ground up um, and not having resources and having to figure it out. I thrive in that environment. Um, I think at some point I tell people all the time, I'm like, at some point I'm just, maybe my next gig will be, I'll just get in and it's like, all right, how do we tweak a couple of things? And kind right, of right, right. We could be, but I, I know myself. And I think that part of it is, you know, yes, I love the challenge. I love to be busy. <laughs> I like I, even as a kid, like I always had I had to have a million things going on. I thrive in that kind of controlled chaos. Um, I thrive on the excitement of it. Um, there's a little bit of an adrenaline junkie situation, I think that, you know, probably sure. like a, in pro sports that I don't relate to it from that standpoint, because I didn't really play sports like professionally or I barely played it otherwise. probably. But um, I think it's part of being in a competitive nature. Like I just like being a part of these things that you know, when people say, well, that's impossible. You can't do that. And I'm like, oh, what? Please underestimate me. I love that. So <laughs> let's, you know, let's, we can build from there. So, but most of the stuff I was talking about was, you know, with different companies that were trying to come into new markets and build new facilities or launch new things and new products. And sure. yeah, there's something really exciting. And that's either, it's kind of like being on the agency side. You're either an agency person or you're not. You can handle multitasking and lots of things coming at you at once, 
or you need one task at a time. And I, I find that I get bored if I don't have a lot of those things going on. And I think that's why the startup, the startup situation seems to be how I gravitate um, constantly. I don't know if I'll be like that forever, but I certainly have for the, uh, you know, the last decade plus of my career. You know, you've got such an inspirational story, you know, I mean, of, of going from that young woman who's lost, wondering, uh, am I going to get into this art program? Here I am stuck yeah. outside this door, admissions door, you know, being executive director of artist relations, you know, uh, and business development at MGM. You know, you're there in Vegas. Things are riding high. And let's be honest, you know, you got a great new gig. But it's been a rough patch for you, right? I mean, so so you know, and I, I I like that that much like the Coachella Valley Firebirds, right? You have to you have to rise up, rising from the ashes, right? But, but let's 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 talk about what these last three years, you know, have uh, a couple of years have been like because you know we're talking to you right now, and and you know you're back home in Texas. So walk us through kind of the the challenges that, that you faced and kind of the uh, the birth of you know Gina Bertolo Consulting and and how you, how these last couple of years have gone for you. Yeah, I mean, again, I've had to pivot a lot. I think in my career, just you know, and pick myself up and because things didn't go the way I thought they were. And, and, you know, I like to plan and I'm that person that has like plan A through Z with 32 sub plans per letter. So <laughs> when things don't go according to those plans, and I think I've figured everything out, like it, it can really throw me and, you know, Vegas was a really exciting time. And, but, you know, I've had to carve my own path in most respects of my, of all areas of my career, things that didn't exist. So I, at the time I was the only like marketing and booking person within AEG facilities. It didn't stay that way, but I was wearing these two hats and I really was more of a marketing person that had to find my way into the booking club. And, you know, that was challenging because it wasn't something that everybody was openly interested or accepting of, you know, they kind of like, were our own this is what we do. And, you know, we throw people like you under, you know, to, to deal with all the other stuff. So, but, you know, so I had to just kind of make my way maybe into what felt a little bit like a boys club and that's fine. Um, in Las Vegas, you know, I went out there to do one thing and within a matter of weeks, I was pulled out of the arena and tasked with a handful of other people to create this global entertainment division and didn't really know what that meant. You know, I went from like one building to all of them and it was marketing right. and then it was my role shifted because I could bridge the gap between booking and everything else because I'd had that experience. So that's how we sort of created this artist relations and business development role. Um, and I sort of let go of some of the marketing pieces. I oversaw some things, but they brought other people in to kind of handle the day-to-day -day of that because it's just such a huge job. But, you know, I was getting to do all that, but it, I, I understood all the pieces of the puzzle, you know, like when we would book a show, we kind of get thrown over the fence and it gets lost very quickly. So making sure that you're connected from ticketing and like, how do we get, you know, all of your travel and accommodations and, you know, not just like what artist gift are we going to do? And can we give them a check? And do they have, you know, all the, have all the blue M&Ms been removed? It's not, it was more than that. So <laughs> it was a much more, you know, it was developing this content. So it was a different role. And then, you know, but it was a 24 seven job. I think my last year, you know, showrooms and everything were rolled up under this role I was in and it just scalability made it very challenging. I don't think it was any big secret, you know, being involved in boots on the ground, the night of the route 91 shooting that changed my life. It was, it changed everybody's life that was there. You know, whether you were a fan, whether you were one of the, you know, 18 or so of the festival crew that was on the ground that night that, you know, it was, there was a lot of really traumatic, horrific things that we went through and it was traumatic for our industry right? Like it, it affected the ripple affected so many people. You had bands that were there, you had bands that just left, but everybody knew somebody that was touched by that event. And I'm exceptionally fortunate to have come out without any physical scars. Um, but it was a really challenging time. And I think just the pace that I was on and my job was to make sure everybody else was okay. I was not okay. And I just sort of had the mentality of keep forging ahead. I'm going to be fine. And in my mind, I was pulling it off. I am type A and high functioning and I was pulling it off. I was unraveling in a mess. And I think the mental and emotional toll had been very tough. I'd lost my mom um, nine months prior. I had lost two or three other very close immediate family members. So I saw a lot of death and loss in a nine month period. And it just changes you as a human. So I got to the point where I probably held on a little longer than I should have. And I wasn't sure how to put myself first. And so I made this really difficult decision to step away from this job, which by all accounts was very sexy and very fun. And I was, you know, all the, everybody's seen all the photos and all the stuff and things. And it was, you know, nonstop, but 
I think I touched 4,500 shows my last year in, in Las Vegas. Jeez. And that is an unnatural number. And that is an unnatural toll on you mentally and emotionally. And, you know, I, I wasn't, again, I wasn't doing these things on my own. I had support, I had other people, but it was just, it was overwhelming and I needed to step back. And I understood how important it was to put your mental health first. I didn't know how to do it. So my, my grandiose plan was I, I resigned because I knew this job was no longer going to be something that I could successfully thrive in and feel happy. Like I'd lost the ability, like I, I had no joy in what I was doing. And I think a lot of people that were around me could see that for a lot longer than I could. Um, and it was hard. And I wanted to keep showing up for everybody and not disappoint them. Um, and I think that was that was a big, that was a big kicker for me was how did I not let anybody down? Um, how did every, you know, I'm the person that's supposed to be there and like, I'm going to cheer everybody on and it's going to be great and take care of you. But I didn't know how to do that for me. And I didn't know how to ask for help. And when I came home, I had this grandiose idea. I was going to come home for the holidays and just decompress between like October and the end of the year. And then I, my grandiose I was going to head to Nashville and I was having conversations about, you know, my next opportunity. And, you know, was it going to be, it was still going to be in similar roles. You know, was it going to be working for an artist? Was it going to be working for an organization? Like, what was I going to do? And then this weird COVID situation started. And, you know, like everybody, I thought, you know, well, maybe, maybe that's okay. Cause maybe I'm not really ready to, to launch back out to this and figure out, you know, how I can be in this space. Like, am I going to be comfortable back at shows? Am I going to be comfortable doing events again outside or otherwise? Like I just, I didn't realize how much work I needed to do. And, you know, I was in a lot of um, very specialized trauma therapy, which I, it took me a long time to even be able to get to the point where I could, I could work through it. I mean, it's taken me years. Like it's, and so I think this break. I love, has your, been, I love your openness with it though. That's yeah. I mean, I think it's really important, right? Like my, my story is not unique and everybody's got something, but I literally, the universe kind of told me that I needed a timeout and the two and a half years I've kind of been in this timeout has been challenging. It's been frustrating. I was worried that everybody else was moving on and I'd be forgotten because you're only as good as the last thing you were doing. And if you weren't part of the conversation, it just moves on. And I do remember thinking that I just kind of wish that I could hit pause and the world would stop for a minute so that I didn't get lost. So, and then when it did, I felt a little bit bad. <laughs> it's you. Sideline everybody's career. Why'd you pause everyone's world? Yeah. What is wrong with you? Selfish. It was on you. Okay. Now we, yeah, we got to it finally. Yeah. Yeah, like now can I do like we all need to win the lottery. So um, I don't know that it works that way. <laughs> but even during that time, you know, I I still needed something to keep myself busy. Like my mind needed to focus on something. And I realized that all of a sudden, all these people, you know, that I knew or businesses, same thing. They were getting rid of marketing and communications people first. And I was like, but you're not going out of business. And you don't understand, like people were freaked out. They didn't understand the digital world. And the how important that mind. digital footprint was. So I wanted to make myself useful. And I started aligning myself with organizations like, you know, Country Music Association was a starting point. And because I'd had was having all these conversations in Nashville and all of a sudden all these touring people that I've known forever, everybody was impacted. Like, you know, there were no shows, there were no tours, there were no sporting events, there was nothing live. So all these people were out of work. And I think that there's just something in my programming that's like, how do I help? what can I do to help? And I, you know, I, again, I can help everybody else way better than I can help myself. And I just wanted to sort of work in tandem on that, but it gave me the time to kind of heal and recover and do it at a pace that made sense and can still contribute and feel relevant and keep my mind busy so that I was, that I still felt like I was moving forward. And that's always a big thing for me, moving forward. Is sure. a big deal. Um, but you know, I did, I had, you know, you had to step back to move forward though. Yeah. And I didn't get that. And I would have never judged anybody for doing that, but I judged myself really harshly. And I think, you know, but my personal and professional life imploded at the same time. So I, I kind of had no choice. Like I guess if anybody's going to have a, this is how you do midlife crisis, apparently. So, which is impossible because I couldn't be middle-aged. Um, but yeah, that was, that was a big thing for me. I just, I had to slow down and I learned that I had been going so fast and on this hamster wheel for so long that I, I didn't know how to be present. I didn't know how to enjoy things. And that's part of what 
I had to go back to do this and kind of get some fundamentals and foundation repaired in my own house, so to speak, before I could really get back out there and be, you know, be the version of myself and the person that I, I want to be and how I want to show up in the world, not just for my job, but, you know, like that's a, that's a piece of me, but I think I'd always had this misconception that, you know, my job has been my identity and I'm a lot more than that. And I needed to be able to really probably not get, not just get introduced to that concept. I don't even know it's reintroduced. I think yeah. it's getting introduced to that concept. So I think that allowed me, the time and, you know, the space allowed me to do it, but that's how I, you know, I was like, well, cool. I'll just do consulting again. And I got really lucky. You know, I had, you know, people that needed help on small levels and it was, you know, not businesses that weren't even in our industry. You know, I'm, you know, I was watching local businesses. It brought me to Lexington. Yeah, it did. And, but like, <laughs> that was one of those crazy things. Like when DoorDash came calling. Yeah, you did some interesting crazy. stuff. Let's talk about that. It's crazy. Yeah. So, you know, my clients during my consulting time, you know, I was working with the yoga studio. I was working, I did some projects for the city of Houston to open some park areas um, or give them some strategy for that. Um, I was doing, um, I did a, a an inflatable water, uh, water slide event that was like, on East Coast, like slide the slopes. I, and then Sounds amazing. Door, yeah, <laughs> DoorDash came out of nowhere. Um, and they were, you know, someone came to me and said, look, hey, we have these, we've committed to these festivals and one's in Lexington, Kentucky. And I was like, oh, Hooper lives there. I'm going to call, like immediately I was like, I'm going to have to ask some questions. And the other one was in Chicago. And it, this company had no events or activations team and they'd grown you know, tremendously as a result of the pandemic, DoorDash was everywhere. And they wanted to, you know, they were committed to expanding their brand and getting people like, how do they have touch points with people that they, other than like showing up at their front door. So I just got, you know, through other relationships, someone said, we need to call her, she can do this. I got thrown in and I think I was, what Paul, was I like two weeks on the job when I showed up? I think I'd been- there. Probably, yeah. <laughs> and you were, and of course you were here like a week before the festival happened, but yeah, you're kind of like, oh my gosh, you know, and, and I think this is not to like downplay DoorDash or anything, but you know, if you, if you're not used to operating in live events and Which you're used weren't. to a different industry, right. you don't know what you don't know, you know? And so you're like, you're, you're coming in thinking, okay, we're going to set up at this event, but what does that even look like? What is our role in this look like? What is the event going to look like? How do we yeah capitalize and take advantage of it you know it's there's a lot uh but i mean it's i think you uniquely uh had the knowledge to kind of put out many of the fires that really they or you know no one else could have anticipated yeah i mean it successful yeah and it was you know it was great but it was their first foray in doing an activation at a festival on that sponsorship level and you know they exactly they didn't know what they didn't know and you just kind of at that point i was 10 days in to working with them. And I thought that I was just going to be on site to kind of manage the space when I realized that, <laughs> like, I was like making the, we were making decisions. I was like, it is, and it's, that's that moment where you just kind of have to come in and, and take over. And I was really grateful and also fortunate that I was with, you know, they were willing to let me do that. And in order to get to accomplish what they wanted, because they just didn't, know that space. And I didn't know their product, right? I didn't know their team and they're all working remotely. So it was, a we all got there and met for the first time. And it's like, all right, this like roll up your sleeves. This is going to get a little bumpy and we did it, but it was, you know, I was there a week before and for several days after, and then I turned around and I think in another three weeks did the same thing with Pitchfork in Chicago. And it was a totally different experience, but um, yeah. And then I, you know, they were like, this is great. Do you want, and I was just supposed to stay on for, you know, to do those two festivals. And they asked me to continue to work with them and build out some event strategy. And we were doing Sundance Film Festival this past year. And, you know, going into the festival, going into Christmas, I remember asking, you know, is there a chance that this, the in-person event is going to cancel? And everybody on the Sundance side said, absolutely not. Unless, you know, the government shuts down or the state shuts down and come that first week of January, four months of planning this really epic, amazing in-person experience and activation across two weeks of a film festival um, in a really great, you know, shishi location with lots of, you know, important people coming in and out of it. They called and said, so there's no in-person and we need to pivot everything to virtual and we've got 10 days to do it. And it was, and I'd started with 
this team, like there was, it all converged. So January and February were crazy months for me. But I, again, I was really fortunate to get to do this stuff. And because I had that background and that experience, I'm not really very easily frazzled or phased by some of those things. I'm like, well, this is, and again, a lot of the work I've had to do on myself personally um, has really helped lead to this. You know, this is just what it is. You can control the things you can control, make the best decisions you can, given the information you have up to that moment when you have to make the choice and you're going to go with it. And, you know, safety and security are at the top of my, my list all the time and creating an environment that's going to be, that helps you meet your goals. And also, you know, makes, you know, keeps everybody in a safe space and, you know, and allows you to shine in your best way possible. That's, that's what it's about. But, you know, at the end of the day, you can let some of this other stuff roll off your back because it's not, it's not the end of the world. It's not life and death. I can tell you that. Um, So, yeah, but I mean, it's been, I got really fortunate to do all these things. So when I had the chance to kind of pivot out of that, you know, I I really, it was a hard choice. Like, was I going to stay doing my own business because it was successful in a different way? I had time to be thoughtful and methodical and I'd learned a lot more about running a business or just business endeavors in general. Geez. I mean, at least this time around, I could make my own spreadsheets. Um, I speak word first, not Excel. And everybody knows that. So, um, but yeah, that was a big part of it was, you know, was I willing to go back into this, this line of work that has been, I'm passionate about. I love it. I love the day-to-day challenges. I love the difference. You know, you're never doing the same thing twice. It's just, I think when you get that, I think Rosie said it when she was talking with you all, like when you get that, get bitten by that entertainment or live events bug, it either grows in you or you're repelled by it. Like it's, it's kind of, it's a divisive line of work, but I, I love it. I thrive on it. And I just, I think that the people that you get to meet and the things that you get to do, again, we may not be changing the world. We may not have that impact, but there is something to be said for being a part behind the scenes, knowing people that don't know you, you can look out at these events and you can see like people are showing up, like I'm having a reunion at a show, like new editions touring. And like, I went with my best friend and we went when we were eight or 10 or whatever. And, you know, it just brings back those, like you're just creating memories for people and they have no idea you're a part of it. And to me, that's special. I don't have to have the front row seat and the accolades and, you know, be, be the star of the, of the show to get something out of that. That's got deeper meaning. And for me, that's, that's a part of a, you know, that's a part of a legacy. I want to make a difference. Well, there's no doubt that you have made a, a great impact on this industry and in so many ways on so many buildings, way more than, <laughs> way more than Paul and I knew about. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we are excited to see, uh, I'm going to call this Gina 3.0 yeah. uh, uh, with uh, how things go there at Coachella Valley uh, with the Firebirds and Palm Desert and, and so excited about that. Before I let you go, yeah. I want to hit you with the fast five, five yes. quick questions. Uh, we're just looking for your quick instant response. What was your very first concert jackson five at mile high stadium nice oh wow it was a reunion mile tour high. and it was epic i just that, that's probably why i wanted to be a dancer denver shout out denver shout out <laughs> how, about you, how about your favorite concert um gosh there's a lot of them because i've seen so many I, it's i love cold play shows i can never get enough confetti they're phenomenal musicians but yeah i mean they're they're always up in the in the very top like absolutely and then you know i'm Special to me, obviously, you know, launching Lady Gaga's residency and watching it go from the pop show to, but that jazz piano show, which we didn't even know was going to happen. Those were, those are some pretty impressive magical moments, but yeah, Coldplay has confetti. So there you go. How about your favorite guilty pleasure food? Oh my God. Um, (laughs) I'm a taco freak. I would eat tacos for every meal, every day. (laughs) If you can roll it up and just like put some avocado on it, I'm in. Uh, that's great. How about it's the last a guilty TV? pleasure? Like I'm just gonna make like no, I just I'm, put it out there. <laughs> I get it. I get it. What's the last TV show you binged? Um, well, let's see. I, I'm kind of in the middle of some of it right now. I've been watching Modern Family and like catching up. Like I've watched all these shows during pandemic that I never got to watch, but I'm in the middle of Modern Family. Before that was The Office, and before that was Parks and Rec, and then 30 Rock. So great, great collection <laughs> nice. there. Apparently, I only watch shows that have like 27 seasons. So I'm like, oh, great. Right. That's funny. You don't want to commit to a full movie, I can't. Right? but you'll watch 16 episodes in a row of a 22 minute show. It years to get through it, but I'm going to, yeah, because I fall asleep, but like, I usually watch it at night before I go to bed. <laughs> Last question, uh, Gina, what's your theme song? So TV cameras follow you all around, uh, living your life uh, in 2022. What's the song that plays over the opening credits of the Gina show? 
It's the Rocky theme song every time. Getting strong now. Yes, getting strong now. Absolutely. Flying high now. <laughs> uh, hey, if people want to uh, reach out to you and learn more about your your adventures or or uh, connect uh, and find a place to crash at Coachella or, yeah. or learn more about the Firebirds, uh, yes. give all the plugs here. Yeah, all of my social media handles are at Gina Rotolo. I thought that was good from a branding standpoint. I just, there was, there's not many with that name. So it's just at Gina Rotolo on every platform. That makes it nice and easy. Yeah. Well, uh, good luck there with the Firebirds. Uh, I can't wait to see how things come along. And uh, definitely uh, appreciate you sharing your, your adventure with us today. Oh, thank you, guys. It's good to see you. And I can't wait to see you in June. Yeah, we're looking yes. forward to uh, EAFC 2022. In and, person. And hey, can't wait to be in person. Uh, but we do appreciate everybody today for listening to Adventures in Venue Land. Remember, you can subscribe and find more episodes wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We'd love your five-star reviews so you can help others find us. Until the next adventure, I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Huber. Thanks for listening, everyone. Adventures in Venueland is a side project of the Event and Arena Marketing Conference, a nonprofit organization bringing together people in the field of live entertainment to discuss marketing, publicity, and sales trends. Find out more at eventarenamarketing.com. Audio editing and mixing by Camille Faulkner. Design and digital advertising by Megan Ebeck. Copywriting and publicity by Samantha Marker. Guest booking and brand strategies by Paul Hooper. Guest research by Dave Rettelberger. Marketing strategies by Paul Hooper, Megan Ebeck, and Samantha Marker. Thanks for joining us. Until the next adventure.